day to the 145th Psalm and verse 9. Psalms chapter 145 and verse 9. This will be the second message in our series on the whole counsel of God dealing with the subject of the goodness of God. It will be the 38th message in the whole series, but number two on this particular subject, the goodness of God. Our last series, our last message in this series, we dealt with the subject, the goodness of God in creation, and how good God has been in allowing us to have an existence when we didn't have to do that. And everything which he has created, he records that it is good. It is good. Now today we want to deal with the subject here in the 145th Psalm and verse 9, the goodness of God in providence or human government, how he works in our lives day in and day out, as we stop and look upon and meditate upon the goodness of God in our daily lives. Reading from this Psalm, verse 9, the Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. Now notice the phrase, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Not only has God been good in creating us and all that's in his creation, but the scriptures declare that he is good to all that is going on in his creation. There are acts of goodness and kindness and mercy which he extends to his creation because he himself is good. Who and what is God is what our catechism asks. And we reply with the scriptures, he is good. He is a good God. Now, how is his goodness seen in his daily governing of his creation, which we refer to as providence? First of all, we see his goodness to the animal and plant creation. God is good to his creation, even in the realm of the plants and the animals. Turn back to the 104th Psalm. And I won't take time to comment on all of these verses, but I do want to read them to you. So we ask you to listen, and may the Spirit do the interpreting of them. As we're not going to expound all of these verses today, but I want us to read Psalm 104, verses beginning in verse 10. And let's see how good God is to the animal and the plant creation that is all around us. Beginning in verse 10. He sendeth the springs into the valleys, which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herbs for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. 
The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted, where the birds make their nest. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appointeth the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey, and seek their meat from God. The sun riseth, they gather themselves together, and lay down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work, and to his labor, until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works, in wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There goes the ships, there is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou gavest them together, thou openest thine hand, and they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, and they are troubled. Thou that takest away their breath, they die, and return to the dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. And thou renewest the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever, and the Lord shall rejoice in his works. But a marvelous passage of scripture, setting forth how God is involved in acts of goodness toward the minutest detail of his creation. The birds. The animals, the fishes, the plants, the different trees, and all of these things, they are described as waiting upon God for God to supply their needs. Merely meaning that they are dependent upon the goodness of God, not only to have created them, but to sustain them in that creation. So here the lions come out in the evening when the sun is made to go down. They come out of their dens and they begin to roar, and God feeds them. The fishes in the sea and all of the beasts of the sea, the creeping things which are innumerable, there they wait upon thee that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. And they gather together, and whatever you give them, notice they are filled with good. When we look around us and we see how that God is so minutely involved in the details of his creation that Jesus said there's not a sparrow falls from its nest but what God is involved in that very act. And that the very hairs upon our head are numbered under the control and power of Almighty God. And yet our subject today is set forth that God is good in this. God is good in that he gave each of these creatures an existence. And God is good to his plant and animal creation in supplying their needs at the hand of his spirit. Then secondly, God is good in taking care of the wicked. Yes, did you believe that? Even the wicked are taken care of by God. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, and verse 44 and 45, we have the words of Christ. 
in his Sermon on the Mount, where we find these words, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Matthew 5, verse 45. Here is an act of God's goodness, even upon the wicked, which have no time for him, which would just assume that he didn't even exist, lest they could then have the opportunity of sinning to their full heart's content without having the bearing in their conscience. There's a God which is going to hold them accountable, and yet they breathe of his air, they eat of his plant life, they devour his animal life, and they are sustained by these things, and yet they do not so much as take a time to give just a pious grunt before thanking, as thanking God for that, for that food and for that air. You know, if you have ever rented from, from someone, you know that there's a certain amount due for the rent, usually on the first of the month. And when that first of the month comes, and if you don't pay that, why, usually that renter or the, the owner will say, well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to evict you. Out you go. And yet God, in his goodness, man breathes his air. They enjoy what we might call free rent to roam where they live throughout his creation, and yet they don't so much as stop, that is, the wicked, and acknowledge an attitude of thankfulness to God for what they have at their disposal. And yet, instead of God calling them in at that particular moment and saying, away with you, he continues to go on and allow even the wicked to participate in harming him or maligning his goodness, and yet they go on in their own unthankfulness. So we see that when that rain comes, it may rain upon the Christian farmer over here who has just prayed, Lord, send rain, give me this day my daily bread, that I may use that bread to glorify your name. And God, in answer, sends a cloud, and the rain comes. But right across on the other farm, there's a farmer over there who couldn't care less about acknowledging the existence of God, and yet it rains over there also. Beloved, I say we have to marvel at the goodness of God and his providence, because there's very few human beings I've ever come across that would put up with that. Very few. That, now notice that Jesus said, going on here, For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publican so? If you return to those who do good unto you, well, what different are you than the publicans? They do that. The non-Christians retaliate. Somebody puts a feather in their hat, they put a feather back in theirs. Now he's saying, now you that are following my teachings, what's the difference between them and theirs? If you only show acts of love toward those who love you, he says, consider your Father which is in heaven. 
He sends rain upon the just and the unjust. Acts of goodness in God's daily providence or governing of society. The third aspect of which we can see the goodness of God is seen in the preservation of human society. Now, God has not only created a race of man, and he's not only permitted man to have his own will, that is, in the sense of choosing what his own heart desires and permitting man to fall into sin, but God has also, in his goodness, seen fit to preserve the race of man here in this period called time. And when the angels sinned, immediately they were cast out and fell under his wrath. Now, God could have done the human race that way, but instead he set up what is known as the law, which acts as a restraining agency to prevent the society of man from completely becoming a hell here on earth. And this law is called the Ten Commandments. And these laws, wherever that they are exercised, serve as a deterrent to restrain externally now the corruptions of the human heart so that we can enjoy the peace and freedom of being able to live with each other as members of the human race without devouring each other. And, beloved, we see what's happening here in our country, that as the law of God has been done away with, both in our society and in our churches, then we have many cities today where it is unsafe for a human being to walk down the streets of that city. Now, why? Because of the callous disregard for God's mean of preserving society. Now, how do these commandments work as an external restraint? Remember, the Ten Commandments will never convert a heart. They may lead to show the sinner his need, but they'll never act internally to convert his heart. You may grow up in Sunday school and church here in the First Baptist Church of Osceola, Missouri, and you may never be converted. But I can guarantee you one thing. If you have been exposed to the commandments of God, your lust will be restrained more so than if you've never been exposed to those duties before God. And while these that are sitting out here around the premises in Osceola, Missouri, while that they may not be Christians, they are being restrained into what they could do and would do by the influence of the teachings of God's Word. So God has been good in giving a law or a means of holding down the corruptions of the hearts of men. Now this law is divided into two tables. The first table contains the four commandments which deals with God's rights and privileges. Shall worship the Lord thy God only, and keeping the Sabbath day. And the first four of these laws again deal with God's rights and his privileges, that they are protected and that man is to bow to them. The last six of the laws deal with the protection of human rights for the preservation of a society. Honor thy father and mother. This protects 
the rights of our superiors not to be dishonored. That is, those who are over us, our father and our mother, they are to be honored and respected under the law of God. Thou shalt not kill. This teaches that life is not to be taken. It is to be held as sacred, and that I am not to take your life in order to gain something in return. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Moral purity is not to be violated in our life and in the lives of others. Thou shalt not steal. Property is not to be taken from others. Thou shalt not bear false witness. The good name of our neighbor is not to be destroyed and cast down. Thou shalt not covet. We are to be content with our providence in life so that we do not want that which belongs to our neighbor, and then covetous will lead us to either stealing, killing, or some way destroying his name or his moral purity. Now, God was good in giving man a rational brain, a heart to desire with, a will to will with, and a brain to think with, and then he gave him some laws that are logical for the preservation of the human society. And every society which has been founded upon the Ten Commandments and has a those has been a society that has far outstripped all other societies in appreciation for God and for the rights of the human race. But now again, uh, passing, the Ten Commandments in and of themselves cannot change the heart. They can act as an external restraint, but only the grace of God writing those laws within us will give us the true desire to serve him. Next of all, we see the goodness of God in his governing us in the afflictions of the righteous. If you're a Christian, you know that you are subject to afflictions. We read in the 119th Psalm and verse 7, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Have you reached that point? It's good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? that I might learn thy statutes. Can you say that today? Can you say it was good that God laid the rod upon you because it drove you to his will? You fathers and mothers here today, when you correct those children, is it not good that you so do it that they may partake of righteousness and obedience? I remember that time in my life in which that my father corrected me, and oh, you talk about the bitterness that sprang up in my heart when he laid that strap on me. And then he just kept on laying it there to hurt the bitterness. I sort of forgot about that, and then I started concentrating upon the pain and the affliction for a moment. And that did not for that time seem joyous. But I can look back now today, and even though my father's gone on into the next life, I can look back to that time in Los Angeles, California, when that day, I remember the circumstances so vivid, and I can say, thank you, Dad, for doing that. 
When I look out around and I see how that our younger generation is left to go their own way, no restraint, no discipline, do your thing, let it hang out, do what feels good. When I see how that has gone on and I see that now our streets are hardly safe to walk in our major metropolitan areas because everybody's doing what they want to do. And that means that if I want to then take that which belongs to my neighbor, I have the right to do it. If I want to violate my neighbor's purity and that of his wife, I have the right to do it. It's my thing and my way. If I want to kill and to steal and to covet and if I want to tear down his name, I have that right because who's to tell me what's right and what's wrong? My friend, there is one who has that right. And that is God Almighty, the one which created you and the one which governs each life here in this life. So I thank God that God used a human instrument to restrain me in my own foolishness. And I thank God that even yet, that when I stray and he permits afflictions to come into my life, that it is said with the psalmist, it's good that I've been afflicted, that I might learn Thy statutes are your will. I look back also in my life as a young man just graduating from high school, having my whole life laid out as to what I want to do, and then all of a sudden I'm smitten with the loss of a father. And that hurt. That hurt deep. And yet I look back now and I see that all the lessons that God has taught me in taking me like the mother bird takes the little bird and pushes it out of the nest and has to learn to fly on its own. The things that God has taught me, even through the passing of my own earthly father, that I can say today with even yet sorrow in my heart over his loss, it is good that I've been afflicted because I've learned the will of God. How did Jesus Christ as a man submit to the will of God? It was through God laying the bitter cup in his hand. And he said, I delight to do thy will, O God. Christian, raise up those knees which tremble. Stiffen up the back. When afflictions come, we can look afresh to Romans 8:28. We know all things work together for what? Good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. What does God have a purpose in afflictions? The psalmist says it is good. Because when affliction came, I learned to see more of God. I learned to look in the midst of all of that as with Job. Sit there on the dunghill. And Job said, I have heard of you with the ear, but now I see you face to face. How many saints of God can say this morning through some period of affliction, whatever it was, that you have come through that with a clearer vision and a greater grasp upon God than you did before. You see, many times God has to remove the cataracts of this desires of this life in order to enable us to see him. And he may do that by permitting affliction to occur in our life. Then finally, the goodness of God is seen in his providence in life in calling sinners to repentance. 
The goodness of God is seen in the animal and plant creation, in taking care of the wicked, in the preservation of human society, in the affliction of the righteous, but it's also seen in him calling sinners to repentance. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? Now get this. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Oh, sinner here this morning. When God smites your conscience of how you've wronged him and you've robbed him of his glory, and that spirit of conviction is planted there in that heart. And the flesh cries, away with it, away with it, I don't want this, go away, God. As it would be described with the Apostle Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks of God's convicting spirit. But, oh, sinner, if you could but see that that which you would desire to be done away in your life is but an act of God's goodness bringing you to salvation in Christ Jesus. I remember back as a young boy when I was about 12 years old, God has worked in some most providential ways in bringing me to faith in his Son. But I remember the first time that I ever sat in a preaching service and I knew it was me that was being talked about. You remember those days? I'd gone as a boy and I'd gone and sat on the row of the other boys and talked and throwed paper wads and put the chewing gum underneath the seats and done the whole thing. And I'd sing and the preacher would preach and then it'd be time to go home and we just couldn't wait. As soon as the last amen was said, we'd run over half a dozen people and get out the door. After where we could go out, we'd have our ball gloves in the car and here we'd go. Get out there, let's play catch. Come on. Away with this. Let's get down to the really important things. And I had a service one day. The preacher didn't preach any different. Told about the same things that I'd never really paid much attention to. And I knew I had to sit on the second row that Sunday. And I found myself listening. And I found something going on down here that troubled me. And oh, that wasn't an enjoyable experience. When I was beginning to be enlightened as to my lost condition and how I needed salvation in Christ, well, you talk about being like that. I went home uneasy that day, and then it came time to go back to church that night, and I remember Mom saying, Well, come on, let's go. And I said, Do we have to? I don't want to go tonight. And I remember looking at Dad. And it just as if 
This is the time. For I have spoken. Went back that night and oh, it was a miserable experience. Without going through the whole encounter before I was finally brought to saving faith in Christ, which was not until several years later, it was a miserable experience in my life to have to kick against the convicting work of God in my life. And I'd reached such points that I would say, God, leave me alone. Leave me alone. And my friend, I stand here as a token of God's grace and goodness today that God didn't leave me alone. There have been many some recorded in the Bible which prayed that prayer, God leave me alone, and God did that very thing. You read about him in the first chapter of Romans. And God, oh, how good he was, instead of listening to my request, he continued to draw me. And now I saw that which was making me the most miserable as one of the most great and marvelous acts of goodness that God has ever displayed toward my soul. Oh, that we see not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Sinner here this morning, would you just as soon be somewhere else? Can you just, are you sitting there saying, I can't wait until I get out of the service, out from the sound of the, my duty before God? Do you not see that this uncomfortableness in your position before God now in impressing his duty and responsibility upon you is but an extended act of his goodness towards you when he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Instead of despising that convicting work, can you be made to see through the Holy Spirit it is that work which is bringing you to faith in Jesus Christ? Don't despise the goodness of God. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Do you want that today? Those of us that are here as believers, and we have an additional revelation of God given unto us, and that exposes certain areas of our life which are going to have to be straightened up and brought into the will of God. And then the Holy Spirit begins to convict, and he says, My child, go, go. I want you to go here and serve. I want you to do this in this capacity. And we began to rebel and say, Oh, no, no, the Spirit of God makes us miserable. And we would say, I've got to get away from this. Can we but not see that by bowing to the will of God that we see it is God's goodness which has placed this drawing, convicting work of the Spirit continually in our lives? Have been brought to that position this morning? In closing, we must go back and review them quickly. The goodness of God was seen in creating you. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He gave you an existence. And the goodness of God is seen in the providence that he's brought you to your point in life today. So that we can say that all things have worked together for good because they're working according to a purpose and they're producing love in our heart toward God. Even those what we thought were setbacks and defeats, 
God turned those crosses into crowns to where we can say it was good for that to have occurred, for now I have learned your statutes even better. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Have you bowed to the goodness of God this morning? Has he filled your cup? Has he filled it up? And has in doing so he removed those things of the world, the flesh, and the devil? And through providential afflictions and cares, now then those have been stripped from us, and he's filled us with his goodness. The way we can say with the psalmist, it's good, it's good, it's good. Let's pray.